and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And what? Lo, I'm with you always. Now we think about that and we've seen movies and television shows and we think that Jesus was giving that commission to a whole bunch of mature adults. But I want to tell you this morning that the crowd I'm looking at today has the potential of having as much impact on the emerging generations and future generations as that group of men and women did when Jesus first said it to them. How old do you think the disciples were? Oh, we've seen the movie. They were all Jesus' peers, right? Guys with big beards and flowing hair. No, actually, it is most historically accurate and almost undoubtedly true that all the disciples, when they began to follow Jesus, were 15 to 18 years old. And so when they got that great commission, they got that great commission as 18 to 22-year-olds. And just like men and women of Christ's day, Jesus knew the way to impact future generations was to call the emerging generation to lead the way. Can you imagine the fear and the trembling that they had? And you can even see in their hearts and their souls when Jesus said he was going to leave them and they were crying out, what are we going to do? You are our leader. But he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to be a comforter and he will be a, a helper to you. We say, Troy, why do you think they were all teenagers? Well, there's a little story in Matthew chapter 17. I'll tell it to you really quickly. Jesus called Peter, who was a fisherman. And he wasn't that great of a fisherman. He was fishing with his brothers. And it seems like the only time he ever caught fish is when he cast out his net in obedience to Christ. And in the midst of Jesus discipling Peter one day, they came into a city, all of the disciples, Capernaum, and they collected, when you come into a city called a temple tax, it was the Denarius. And one of the Pharisees, the scribes, said to Peter, does your teacher pay the temple tax? And Peter didn't really know, and I think he just guessed. And he said, oh, yeah, because he didn't want to get in trouble. And then when he went into the house where Jesus was with his disciples, Jesus said to him, Peter, he said, what do you think? Do kings collect taxes from their sons or from their servants? And Peter said, from their servants. And he said, good job, Peter, you got it right. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to go fishing. And you catch a fish. And when you catch a fish, I need you to open that fish's mouth. And when you open that fish's mouth, there's going to be a coin in that fish's mouth. And then you take that coin out of the fish's mouth, and you go and you pay the temple tax for me and for you. You ever heard anybody preach on that passage? No. So what is that passage all about? Is it about Jesus' sovereignty that he knows the fish that has money in his mouth? That he can see the bottom of the lake and that he can cause a fish to swallow up that coin and he can make the hook go right to that fish and he can make that fish bite that hook. And then, hey, I'm a fisherman, are you? I've looked in a lot of fish's mouths and I've never found money. Do you think that's what it's about? See, if you understand the scenario and you understand what the Bible says in Exodus 30, the people who were responsible to pay this temple tax was everybody that was 20 years old and older. 
And all of Jesus' disciples were there. And Jesus, being the rabbi, had to pay for all of his disciples. And so Jesus had Peter catch enough money for how many? Himself and Peter. And we know that Peter was the only disciple who was married. And in that culture, men would be married at 18 years old by someone picked out by their parents. The number one term that Jesus used for referring to his disciples were little ones. It literally means little children, which would have been an insulting thing if his disciples were men of his age. They were all unmarried except for Peter. The education system of that time, a child would be educated until he was 15 years old in the doctrines and ways of the days. But at 15, if he was smart enough to be chosen by a rabbi, he could be discipled by a rabbi. Other than that, he would go into business with his father and apprentice in that business and then be married when he was 18. This is the way it was in culture. And this was a culture that Jesus grew up in. These young men and women were already being apprenticed between 15 and 18 when Jesus called them to himself. Imagine this. Does this make a little bit more sense about the disciples? (laughs) Let me give you an example. Do you know high schoolers? I have a group of high schoolers. I have... uh, Two sons in high school, so I lead a high school group. You know what all those guys think they are? Awesome. (laughs) Right? Every high schooler who plays sports in high school thinks he's going to play in the league. Right? And we know the percentage of that. And they'll argue with you about how great they are. Even if they're not starters on the team in high school that they're a part of, they think they're going to make it to the league. You know why? Because they think they're the GOAT. They have envisioned for themselves. I already told you guys, I thought I was going to be a Dallas Cowboy. And I began to think that when I was in high school. What was the number one argument that the disciples had with one another when they literally went in the presence of God himself? Who was the greatest? Guys, they were living and walking with the king of the universe, the goat. (laughs) And arguing about who was the greatest. What about this bulldozer mom? If these were bearded guys in their 30s, you think their mom would have been going to Jesus and saying, Hey, Jesus, um... I know that you actually are the greatest, even though my sons think they are. But I know of all your disciples, my sons really are the best. And I don't know which one you can choose should sit on your right and which one should sit on your left. But I know that they should get those seats. You go ahead and choose, right? I mean, you talk about a bulldozer mom, that would make no sense if these men were married and in their 30s and in their life. But if they're teenagers, man, do we see moms doing that even today? Not going to push around my kid, right? Jesus told, chose 12 men, likely teenagers. And from those 12 men, he gave them the commission to literally change the world. Luke chapter 6, it says, During those days, Jesus went out to a mountain to pray, and he prayed all night. And when daylight came, he summoned his disciples, all the ones who were beginning to follow him, and he chose 12 of them who he also named apostles. Guys, it was not uncommon that rabbis would choose for themselves disciples, but here's the uncommon thing. The day that he chose them, he named them apostles. And we know today that to be an apostle, we have made all kinds of criteria for that. But the word literally means sent. To go. 
And what Jesus was saying is, I'm calling you to follow me, but I'm telling you right now, if you're going to follow me, you're going to get out of here. You're going to go. And so he called them sent ones from day one. I'm going to send you away. I'm going to send you to change the world. One of our passages that we love is Luke 10.2. I have it all the time. This is the theme verse of our network. And many of us set our alarms every day at 10.02 to remind us to pray. Because the one thing that Jesus asked us to pray about probably would be a good thing for us to pray about, right? And Jesus said in Luke 10.2, Do you see the fields? They're white unto harvest. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into the harvest. He also said it in Matthew 9.37-38, but it's just not as cool of a t-shirt, right? He also said it in John 4. He told his disciples when he was witnessing to the Samaritan woman who was about to change all of Samaria, he said to them, lift up your heads. And literally he was saying, get your head out of your backside and see what I'm doing. Get about the business of God because it's, only the, it's the only business that lasts forever. But you know the word for sent is this Greek word ekbalo, right? Uh, are you familiar with eagles? I love wildlife, especially love eagles. Eagles are awesome. You see them here, right? All the time. And when you see an eagle, you should just marvel at the goodness and grace of God. But eagles make nests really high. Have you noticed this? And they have one or two baby eagles in the nest. And the baby eagle is terrified because it's high. And it doesn't know how to fly. It's born naked, right? It starts sprouting some little feathers. And there comes a time when mom and dad eagle decide this eagle is old enough to fly. And so you know what mom eagle does? Takes the baby to the edge of the nest and goes, ba bow. <laughs> and at that point, eagle has two options fly or die. And that word for pray to the Lord of the harvest, and we pray every day to the Lord of the harvest, 1002, and if you're super spiritual, you can do it in the morning and at night, or you can just do it any time of the day. But we pray in answer to Jesus' one prayer request that he would ekbalo laborers into the harvest. Guys, these teenagers were terrified They huddled together, 120 of them, and waited for the Holy Spirit to fill them with power to be the witnesses of the kingdom. And they did receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And they became witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and literally to the ends of the earth. Somebody told somebody and somebody told somebody and somebody told somebody and somebody told somebody until somebody told me. And somebody told you. And I believe that God is doing in our day what he did in the beginning of the days when he called a bunch of teenagers literally to change the world because I've looked and studied in history, and I want you to know this. This is what God always has done, and this is what God will do in the future. It was what the Apostle Paul did. You remember when the Apostle Paul was called into ministry? He was a young man, it says, and he was watching this Christian man be stoned, and all of the coats were laid at his feet. 
a young man named Saul, and he watched this Christian being murdered, and he was excited about that, and he wanted to murder as well. But yet God grabbed his heart when he was a young man and transformed him, and he became the leader and the writer in the first century church. And he called Timothy when he was how old? A teenager. And he called Titus when he was how old? A a teenager. Are you familiar with this? You ever heard of the Reformation? In the 1600s or 1500s, actually, a young man named Martin Luther and a young man named John Calvin. You know when God got a hold of their hearts when they were teenagers? And you know when they began the Reformation when they were 25 and 30? You know the universities in our system? You ever heard of these? Yale, Harvard, Princeton, Rutgers, Brown, Dartmouth. You ever heard of them? Established in the 1600s, you know what they were established to do? Train pastors for the emerging colonies in our country. They were seminaries. And now they're godless institutions. In all of those places, it's even hard to find a Christian. You ever heard of the Great Awakening in our country in the 1700s? A man named George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards? Jonathan Edwards began pastoring when he was 19 and George Whitfield when he was 21. What about the great revival of the 1800s? D.L. Moody and C.T. Studd. Now that's a pastor's name. Began reaching youth because they were youth themselves. We're going to be planting a church next year at University of Syracuse, Syracuse, New York. It was founded in 1831 by the Methodists to train missionaries to go overseas because this country was mostly reached. And today there are more Muslims on the campus of Syracuse than there is Christians. 1900s was the rise and fall of denominationalism. And at every major university in this country, there is huge historic churches that at one time preached the gospel of Jesus. And now you have those churches on your campus as well, and how many students are fired up about Jesus because of their life and their witness? And what do those churches know? If we don't reach the next generation, we're not going to reach the world. One of the church buildings that we bought is a Presbyterian church in Des Moines, and I'll never forget going into that church, and the woman who was running the church at that time she said, hey, 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 you believe in God things? Uh, you're talking to a pastor, asking him if he believes in God things. Yes. Yes, I do. And she said, I got to show you something. I got to show you something. I said, okay, it's going to be good. And she said, you see that on this building? On this building right here. Look at those words. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And she said, here's the crazy thing. That was on this building before Martin Luther King ever even said it. And you know what? That's funny, right? Oh, it's not the words of Martin Luther King. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. She had no idea. When we went to buy the building, we were getting it for dimes on dollars. It was the first time in years the building had been filled up. And someone stood up in the midst of the building and said, hey, we cannot sell this building to these people. 
Because I'm telling you, if we sell this building to these people, they will take this ministry the complete opposite direction of where it's going now. First of all, they think that homosexuality is a sin and they do not support the LGBTQ community. Second of all, they don't ordain women as elders and they teach that God has made us male and female and give us specific roles and responsibility that are different according to our gender. And third and finally, most importantly, they teach that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Sitting in a room thinking, mm, guilty. <laughs> but then this person said, but I think we should shell the building to them anyway because they're doing a lot of good in our community. And it was a landslide victory, and now that church that had been dead for years has hundreds of people who are worshiping right next to Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. Are you familiar with the parachurch movement? You ever heard of Campus Crusade for Christ? Navigators? InterVarsity? young man named Bill Bright started Campus Crusade for Christ, and a young man named Dawson Trotman started Navigators. InterVarsity was imported from Europe because they saw the lostness that was happening in our country. All of it, all of the major movements of God through all of this history in our country took, back, took place on the backs of young believers and believing prayer. As you like where our country's going, you like what you see. You like the brokenness that is in every marriage, in every home, in every life, in every city. You think that maybe God wants to take it back. You think maybe the pattern of the Bible that Jesus began when he looked at those terrified teenagers and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. <laughs> Now you go and make disciples of the nations. I want you guys to know God is doing something extraordinary here. We have 22 salt companies. You know what the fastest growing one is? Not even close. Any other group. You think it's the work of the people that are here? You think it's the work of a God who is here? This weekend, did you sense the Spirit of God? Did He speak to you? Is He calling you to something? Is He asking you to give your life for something that is meaningful and lasting? Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where there are no moths, no rust, no thieves. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And he said, what can you give in exchange for your soul? James says, what is your life? It's a mist that appears for a short time, and then it's gone. And then all of us will stand before the king of the universe and give an account of what we did with the breath that he gave us. With this mist that is our life.
And I don't know about you, but I want to live for King Jesus. And I believe you do too. And I believe that God is raising up a new movement in our country. And I believe Salt Company is a part of it. Jesus changed my life at 17. I got my first college ministry job in 1985. Started a salt company in 1997. Planted the first church in 1994. Planted the second church in Iowa City in 2010. And now we're 22 churches and 22 salt companies in 14 states. Guys, it is so cool to think about students at Iowa State and Iowa and Northern Iowa and Drake and Minnesota and St. Thomas and Missouri and Missouri State and Indiana and Wisconsin and Michigan State and Florida and Creighton and Nebraska and Colorado State and Kansas and Ohio State and Cincinnati and Georgia Tech and Georgia State and also Illinois State and Michigan and Syracuse and others. But there are thousands. You think your campus needs something like Salt Company? I do. And so does every other campus in this country, and so does every other city in this country, and literally every city in the known world. Because there's going to be one day when King Jesus is going to stand up, and he's no longer coming as a lion, he's coming as a, as a lamb, he's coming as a lion. And he's going to say, enough is enough. And when he splits the sky... And the trumpet sounds. If I get the opportunity to still be drawing breaths, I want to say, I want to say, hallelujah. Come, Lord Jesus. And I want to be an old man joined with a whole bunch of young people who have decided to give their life for what matters. The kingdom of God. Don't be the generation that lets the church die on your back. Actually be the generation that accelerates the church in your city and consider the reality that maybe God would use you to be a world changer. He's going to use somebody. Why not you? My favorite church name is the Commons Church. It's the one in East Lansing, and they love it when I say that out loud. But I don't like the name so much. But it's, it, it comes from the verse in Acts chapter 14, where it says these common, ordinary men. And it talks about how they came, and the Greek word translated common is the English word that we get idiots, right? So they named their church a bunch of idiots, right? And isn't that... The way the church is, it's not about how great we are. It's about great, how great our God is. And it's not about what we can do. It's about what he will do with us. And if we were great at something, then we could receive the glory for that something. But if we're just a bunch of idiots and God is doing extraordinary things, changing lives, then to him be the glory now and forever and ever. Pray that God would continue this movement in this place. And you guys are a part of it. Wouldn't it be neat to see not only thousands of students at conference in the spring, what would keep there from being thousands of students in Minneapolis and St. Paul who are saying is enough is enough. We want to see God change our city and our world.
Lord, would you call us again The world is yet to see what you can do with one man or one woman who's fully devoted to you. And the world is yet to see what you would do with 150 young men and women who are fully devoted to you. We've spent enough time already, God, pursuing things that are empty, chasing after dreams that only will let us down, pursuing visions of grandeur that are just illusions of hurt. But Lord, we can see that you are the king and Lord of the universe and you're calling us to a different path. You're sending us, but not alone. I love the comfort that is there in that great commission and I am with you. Always. So as these men and women go from this place, having heard your voice and making changes, would you give them the strength and the comfort to follow you, to take the next step as apostles, sent ones of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that they would go in your name and with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, it's been my honor to be with you. It's been a real joy. And I'll pray for you guys as you journey forward. And hopefully, I'll see all of you guys in February at the Spring Conference. So I think you can go to your connection groups, correct?